So today we are beginning 40 days of prayer, and I'm really, really excited to announce these 40 days. We did this last year with the Christian Missionary Alliance, and it's, it's something, just a journey that we took together as a family. And if you're not already connected to what's going on, there's a devotional that you'll want to use during these 40 days, and that, that devotional can be found as a link in the focus on, on last Wednesday's FAC Focus. If you're like, I don't get the focus, then that means you need to get connected. And we'd love your email address, and you can either online or, or if you have a little feedback card, give us your email address, drop it in the box. Actually, those of you in the sanctuary, everyone just look at the box in the back. Just, just, just turn your heads, look. See that little box? That's our gifts and feedback box. You can put your money in there. You can put notes in there. You can put gold coins in there. Um, that's a way for you to communicate with us. And we, we want to make sure that you're aware of that, that that's available to serve you. But this 40 days of prayer, there's every day there's a different devotional reading that you can go through. There's a topic, there's emphasis that, we, that you can, well, get this year started off right. I don't know how else to say it. And I don't know a better way to start the year than on our knees. And so, well, let's start right now, shall we? Almighty God, I thank you once again for your faithfulness. I thank you for what you've done in and through First Alliance Church these 134 years. And I believe, Lord, you have great, great things in store for us ahead. And we want to lean into that. We want to step into everything that you desire. For, Lord, it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I pray that we can fix our eyes upon you, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, that this would be a year where our passion for you grows. It's one of our four prayers. It's for passion, passion for you, passion for the lost, passion for those that are in need, the widow, the stranger, the orphan, the immigrant, the refugee. Lord, would you open our hearts? Begin right now. Open my heart, Lord. I just long to know you more and to have a deeper, more intimate relationship with you that would be contagious to others. Now, Lord, I ask you to speak. Speak through me, a weak and broken vessel, that the words in my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. My Lord, my rock, my redeemer, my king. In Jesus' name. Well, I wonder this morning, what's the most amazing thing you've ever seen? The most remarkable thing? Maybe it was the birth of, of a child. Although I think of the one comedian who looked at, at his newborn child and said to his wife, congratulations, dear, you just gave birth to a lizard. Come on, you know newborns. But truthfully, I... I, I think my wife saw me cry more the moment our first child was born than she had seen in all the years put together. I mean, I was just, I was bawling like a baby. The miracle and wonder of new life. Maybe it's the Grand Canyon. Some of you have had the privilege of seeing that. Maybe, maybe, maybe it was just the snowfall and the sun glistening. You think about the most beautiful things that you've ever seen in your life. You might say they're incredible. You might say they are glorious. So once again, I want to say to all of you this morning, Happy New Year. How many of you have kept all your New Year's resolutions so far? 
Come on, I know half of you said your New Year's resolution was not to make any New Year's resolutions, and so you've all at least accomplished that. Uh, But seriously, we're beginning 2022, as I said, on our knees. Literally on our knees. The Christian Missionary Alliance has churches all across this country, and they've decided once again, as we did last year, to begin with these 40 days of prayer. One of our core values as a Christian Missionary Alliance is that prayer is the primary work of God's people. And if you think about just what a statement that is, I wonder, how is your prayer life? How much time are you spending on your knees? Maybe more importantly, how much energy are you spending on your knees? I have to say that there are times where my prayer life is, well, it's pretty weak to say the least. I get distracted. I get discouraged. I forget. One of the tools that's been helpful for me is just to journal. I love to write out my prayers on my laptop and just type away. It kind of keeps me going, keeps me focused. Because once my eyes are closed, well, some of you know what happens once your eyes are closed for any length of time. I, I, I can sleep with the best of them or like the best of them. 40 days of prayer. For the next 40 days, we're going to fix our gaze on Jesus. We're going to focus in on the King of Kings that we sang about earlier, what he's done, what he's given us to do, and what he's going to do in the coming days. We often say around here, it's not about religion. It's not even about church. It's all about Jesus. Now, I have to say, I'm frequently heartbroken when I hear stories of people who have walked away from the faith, not because Jesus has done anything wrong, not because God has failed them, but because people have whether it's priests abusing children or money-grabbing televangelists or, or people, just looney tunes, uh, people that have, have made promises that they didn't deliver on. It breaks my heart. And in every case of every person who's walked away from the faith, I just would long to ask them this one question, but what about Jesus? See, it's so easy for us to get our focus away from Christ onto churches, onto pastors, onto leaders, onto celebrities and authors. And and when they go down, oftentimes people go down with them. An incredible tragedy. Family, I'm just here to tell you, I am not the authority around here. Don't put me on a pedestal. I'm just going to step down here today. I know some of you can't see in back. But seriously, I'm doing my very best week after week to honor God, to serve you, to speak God's truth in a way that you can understand and apply. But make no mistake, I'm not perfect. I will fail you. I will disappoint you. Please, 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 we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And that's what I say to all of you. Follow me as I follow Christ. And as I don't follow Christ, don't follow me. We don't worship tradition. We don't even worship the Bible, but we worship Jesus, the one who came and lived and died and rose again, who ascended into heaven, and he's coming back soon. Are you ready? That's marvelous. That's truly glorious. Now, much of what I'm going to say today, a lot of you have heard me say before. So if you're looking for something new, fresh, innovative, cutting edge, out there, creative, innovative, different, well, the Bible hasn't changed in thousands of years. But I just want to warn you 
the things that I have to say today are challenging. They're difficult. They might wreck you. They have definitely wrecked me in preparing for today. The key word for this series is reawakening. And reawakening is, well, it implies a couple things. Uh, It implies that you need to be awake. And it it implies that there's a reawakening because it's happened again. Anytime you see the word R-E or the, the, the preposition, the prefix re, it has to happen again. Reawakening. It means to emerge or to cause to emerge again. To awake again implies that, first of all, there's some sleep or some slumber going on that we need to wake up from. The late Keith Green penned these incredible words, so prophetic, in his song, Asleep in the Light. He said, do you see, do you see all the people sinking down? Don't you care? Don't you care? Are you going to let them drown? How can you be so numb not to care if they come? You close your eyes and you pretend the job's done. Open up, open up and give yourself away. You see the need, you hear the cries. So how can you delay? God's calling and you're the one. But like Jonah, you run. He's told you to speak, but you keep holding it in. Can't you see it's such a sin? The world is sleeping in the dark that the church just can't fight because it's asleep in the light. How can you be so dead when you've been so well fed? Jesus rose from the grave and you can't even get out of bed. See, family, I believe we need a reawakening. The church has been asleep. We've been asleep. I believe the problem in our world today is not the world. It's not those people out there doing all that stuff that we like to moan and and complain about. The problem is that the church is asleep, that we're not shining the light. We're saying, wow, the world's awfully dark. Yep, it is. That's what the world does. And the world's only dark because our light is not shining brighter. It's because we're asleep. I want to wake you up this morning. I want to wake you up this year. I pray that First Alliance and all the Alliance churches this year, we have an awakening, a reawakening. See, the problem is the church. We've fallen for the idols of money, sex, pleasure, and power. We've been obsessed with our, our rights, our power, rather than loving others well. By many measures, the church in the United States is dead, just like the world, filled with individualistic, narcissistic, consumeristic people who do anything possible to be happy. If we're not dead, we're at least asleep, apathetic, maybe even pathetic. We need an awakening. And I'm just talking to myself now. I told you this is going to be tough. If the shoe fits... But hopefully I'm just preaching to myself this morning. In which case, thanks for eavesdropping. Perhaps you've heard of the the great awakenings in our nation's history. God used people like Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield to wake up the lukewarm Christians, convict the godless, and stir the first of two major revivals in the U.S. and England. The stories are remarkable. Christianity.com notes this. The Great Awakening in America in the 1730s and 1740s had tremendous results. The number of people in the church multiplied, and the lives of the converted manifest true Christian piety. Denominational barriers broke down as Christians of all persuasions worked together in the cause of the gospel. There was a renewed concern with missions, and work among the Indians increased. As more young men prepared for service as Christian ministers, a concern for higher education grew. 
Get this, some of you may be unaware of this. Princeton, Rutgers, Brown, and Dartmouth universities were all established as a direct result of the Great Awakening. Some have even seen a connection between the Great Awakening and the American Revolution. Christians enjoying spiritual liberty in Christ would come to crave political liberty. The Great Awakening not only revived the American church, but reinvigorated American society as well. Can you imagine a day when the church invigorates society rather than society influencing the church? If I have one prayer for us in this year, it would that we would experience spiritual awakening in 2022. And by spiritual awakening, and by we, I mean, well, we, you and I, First Alliance Church, my family, all the churches in Toledo, our state, our nation, our world, that we would experience spiritual awakening. And family, I think our world is desperately in need of the church waking up. I've been praying for years for spiritual awakening, and I was especially hopeful when this little thing came about about two years ago. I thought, great, here's our chance. Here's our opportunity. The world's going to fall to its knees. Desperate. What are we going to do? This pandemic, people are dying. People are sick. There's fear. There's worry. There's anxiety. What a perfect opportunity for the church to rise up, to offer faith, hope, and love. Well, that didn't happen. Tragically, the world sees the church as part of the problem rather than part of the solution. I often go back to one simple question. Does it look like Jesus? Does my life look like Jesus? Does your life look like Jesus? Would people confuse our behavior for that of Jesus? Or do we just step in time like everybody else? I don't mean to beat up anyone except perhaps myself. But I do want to acknowledge the state that we're in as we begin this new year, and it's not a good state. I mean, granted, I believe personally that First Alliance is above average when it comes to churches. I might be biased. I also love you all. And I think God's doing some beautiful, remarkable things in and through our church family. But if we're really honest, there's a long ways for us to go between our lives and the lives of Jesus. I have four prayers, and you've heard this. I've been praying them for years. I pray for direction. I pray, Lord God, would you direct us? I'm not the leader of First Alliance Church. Jesus is the leader. And I work with a team of elders that I'm so, so grateful to work with. I'm under the authority of Reverend Thomas George, our district superintendent, and he's under the authority of Terry Smith, the VP, who's under the authority of Dr. John Stumbo. We are men leaders under authority. But I pray for direction, that God would direct us into the future that he wants us to create with him. I pray for protection from the enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy, and he's done a really good job, especially these last couple years in the midst of the pandemic. Family, this is a time for us to rise up. I don't mean rise up for power. I mean rise up for love. Rise up to serve with a servant's towel, to rise up and, and go against the forces of darkness that have been winning for far too long. So it's a, it's a war going on, and it's not against people. It's not against flesh and blood, but there's a spiritual war going on. I pray for protection. I pray for unity. That's Jesus' prayer for us in John 17, that we would be one. And I'm so, so thankful for the beautiful aroma of unity that continues to grow around here.
And I pray for passion, as I said earlier. I just believe that we need to wake up, that we need to focus our attention, our energy, our worship, our time, our talent, our treasures on things that matter, not things that are going to end up in next year's garage sale. I believe praying for awakening is the first step, and that's what these 40 days are all about, 40 days of prayer, praying for awakening. But we can't stop at prayer. Prayer is not simply asking a genie for wishes. And yet it's even more than just talking to God or talking with God. Prayer is doing life with God. All of life should be about prayer. That's how we pray without ceasing, as one passage says. That our lives should be so consumed with Jesus that we're constantly in conversation, constantly in communion, constantly aware of his presence. This ring is a reminder to me, 24-7, 365, that I'm married and I have a relationship with my wife. And when I'm with her, I have a relationship with her. When I'm apart from her, I'm still in relationship with her. I think about her. I pray for her. I miss her when we're apart. It's the same with God. Maybe some of us need to get a ring and put it on one of our fingers to be reminded to pray, to be reminded that he is with us that he promises to never leave us or forsake us, to be engaging in a lifestyle of prayer. You don't have to close your eyes. You don't have to be on your knees, though those can be helpful postures. But a life with God, doing life with God. We start with prayer, but then action is required. There's an old story about a guy who, who said, Lord, please help all the starving people in the world. To which God replied, Sir, please go help all the starving people of the world. See, sometimes God wants to involve us. He engages us. He doesn't want us to just pray, though we start with prayer, but then we get off our knees and we serve. We love. In a famous interaction with Jesus, Peter said, We've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? New Living Translation, I love this phrase. What will we get? Isn't that just like Peter? Okay, we've done all the stuff, Jesus. Now, what do we get? If you're really honest, you probably have thought that too. Oh, God, I did this great thing. Okay, now what? Where's my crown? Where's my reward? What do I get? It's classic, selfish, human response. What's in it for me? Jesus said, truly, I tell you, with the renewal of all things, I love that phrase, the renewal of all things. When the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. The renewal of all things. The original Greek word for renewal, palingenisa, is from two words, paling, or again, and genesia, which is where we get the word genesis, Genesia, or beginning. Again, beginning, a renewal of all things. Jesus is speaking of the world made new, recreated. And not just a picture of clouds in the sky, but all things, including our planet, being renewed. Scripture refers several times to a new heavens and a new earth. Jesus is saying there's going to be a day when there's no more sickness, no more disease, no more pain when your football team will never lose, when no sorrow will ever come upon you. 
a day filled with joy and laughter of rejoicing, of celebration. No more hatred, homelessness, injustice, or apathy. And Jesus is going to sit on his glorious throne with all the followers of Jesus. It will be glorious. And he invited his followers then, and he invites us today to follow him, to engage in him, to participate with him in the renewal of all things. He says, everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or farmer or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. This is the time of year where a lot of people start looking at their finances. Visa is going to spend a lot of time looking at some of your finances in the next few weeks, all those Christmas presents. We look at our investments. How did the stock market do? How did my 401k do? Imagine a hundred times return on an investment. If I could guarantee you a hundred times return, I bet all of you would give me your money, wouldn't you? <laughs> I'll take that one a hundred times. This is what Jesus is saying. If we invest our lives in his kingdom and his purposes, we will receive a hundred times as much in return and inherit eternal life. That's the best deal in town. That's better than my Apple stock has done over the last 10 years, let me tell you. All four shares. Should have bought more. Jesus is casting an eternal vision saying if they truly surrender their lives to following Jesus, they will experience something truly remarkable for eternity. It will be glorious. And then he utters these famous words. Many who are the greatest now will be least important then, and those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. We all like this verse until it applies to us. You know, another translation talks about the first shall be last, and we all like that one when we're last, but when we're first, we don't necessarily want to get back to the end of the line, do we? We like the idea of loving our enemies until we have enemies to love. We all like the idea of forgiveness until it's our turn to forgive someone else. See, what Jesus is really saying and what his overall message was from start to finish with his followers, it all boils down to one word, one simple word. I believe this is the secret to true satisfaction. It's the pathway to meaning and purpose. It's the way to experience the abundant life that Jesus talked about. And it's the most important step you can take in following Christ. It's a very unpopular word, but you can't grasp. But if you grasp it, you will be able to not only experience re reawakening and renewal in your life, it will transform your life. It'll be contagious to others as well. If we can take this one step, it would change everything for us in 2022 and beyond. And it's just one simple word. It's a three-letter word. I want you all to write down because I want you to forget it. I already told you it's three letters. It's not, not too hard to forget. This is, this is step one for 2022 to transform your life in our world. You ready? Here it is. Die! Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year. Yes, yes, yes. Happy New Year. I know death is the one thing most of us avoid at all costs. 
Except, of course, those struggling with suicidal ideation. And if that's you, I urge you to call 800-272-TALK, 273-TALK. I realize this is a very serious issue. It's a huge problem in our society right now and for good reason. But there is hope. Obviously, we would love to talk with you as well. Our staff, our elders, we're here to serve you. Of course, I'm not talking about physical death. That's eventually going to happen for all of us. But when I say die, I mean die to yourself. I haven't heard much about it recently, but for a long time, people were talking about the Ten Commandments and how we need to have the Ten Commandments everywhere on, you know, in every courthouse and all over America and such. And I'm not, I'm not here to get into that debate, that conversation today. But I will tell you that, well, much, much of the conversation about the Ten Commandments boils down to, well, I guess this part of it, um, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. I mean, most of us are probably think those are pretty good things, especially good things for others to do, even if we struggle with some. Quite honestly, I struggle with the first commandment. It says this, you shall have no other gods before me. Am I the only one? See, this is harder for me than that other list. I haven't, I haven't murdered anybody. You can rest easy. I breathe a sigh of relief. Like, oh. I've been faithful to my wife. But this one gets me every time. I want to be God. I want to be in control. I want it my way. I want to be happy at all times and do whatever possible to eliminate any suffering or pain or discomfort in my life. But despite my ability to fool myself, I've recognized that I am not God. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're not God. Oh, you guys, such passion. Now, hopefully, you've all recognized that you're not God. No offense, but here's the off-quoted mantra of our district superintendent, Thomas George. You, if you've been around, you've heard this time and time again, but it bears repeating as we reset, re recalibrate for the new year. You were made by God, for God, and for God's glory. Now, most of you accept the fact that you're made by God. If you've ever read Psalm 139, you know that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. And we love to talk about that. We were made in God's image with dignity, value, and worth. And we say, oh, God made me. I'm special. And you are. You're a beautiful masterpiece. You're made for God. That means you have a purpose, which is greater than your own desires and your own plans and your, your will, that he has a purpose because you were made for him, not just for you. You were made for him. It's not that God doesn't want you to be happy, but his higher priority is for you to be holy, to be set apart, to trust and obey, not because he's a control freak, but because he knows best. Daddy knows best. His will and his plans are greater than anything that you could ever imagine. I was thinking this week, there have been all these movies made about robots that overtake the world, right? You've probably seen them, ever heard of them. You know, these, these mad scientists, and they go into a lab and they, they create this robot and all of a sudden the robot turns and all of a sudden the robot that was supposed to help is now hurting and, you know, taking over the world, destroying and things like that. I, I was thinking, 
I think that's what people must feel that God is like. Like he, he's created us, he's, but then, he, then, then people turn on him and, and have all these, all these different, different perspectives. If you had the ability to design a robot, how frightening would it be if it turned against you and did whatever it desired? So many men and women have turned against their creator, have violated the purpose of their creation because God's given us free will. He could have made us all like robots and we would just come every Sunday and put our money in the box and sing our songs and, and do our thing, but he's given us freedom. And we love freedom, especially in this country. We love freedom, but with freedom comes responsibility. With freedom means you make choices and you have to be accountable for those choices that you make. Some of us make really good choices. Some of us make terrible choices. There's consequences for our actions. With freedom comes responsibility. There's nothing that God wants more than your heart. He's given you freedom. And with that freedom means you have a choice. Love always requires freedom. If there's no choice, if there's no freedom in love, it's not real love. It's manipulation. There's nothing God wants more than your heart. In fact, every commandment, rule, and law in the Bible was summarized by Jesus when he said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. That's my New Year's resolution right there. But it doesn't come by trying harder. I can't achieve it on my own strength. And even though spiritual practices like prayer and Bible study, fasting are useful tools, the first step is to die. Jesus said it very plainly. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. By the way, the hardest word for me in that is daily. I wish Jesus said, pick up your cross at summer camp as a teenager, Friday night, bonfire, say the prayer, and then live like everybody else. But he said, no, you need to pick up your cross daily. You need to die daily if you want to follow me. The good news the great news is that after the death comes the resurrection. See, following Jesus is the greatest thrill. It's the, it's the secret to satisfaction. It's the key to unlock meaning and purpose and joy and peace. See, he's not out to get you, but rather he died to prove his love for you. The message of Christmas is that God became one of us, lived on our planet, showed us what it means to be human, gave everything to us, and shows us the pathway to enlightenment, wisdom. Enjoy. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people come to life. But the first step in that process is that we have to die. I know of no greater picture than baptism. You know, some churches sprinkle. That's fine, I guess. I mean, you can get squirt gun out and whatever. But when we baptize, we immerse people, we dunk people completely. And it's such a, a beautiful, beautiful illustration of what it means to follow Jesus, that we enter this water grave and we go down and we, we die. Not literally. I've never held anyone under that long. 
But then we come up and we're resurrected. We die to our old self, our old habits, our old addictions, our old stuff, our, our human sinful nature. And we're resurrected with Jesus, with new life in Christ. See, in one sense, we need to die daily and we need to then be renewed daily, a phrase that I, I use from time to time, let go and let God. I mean, it, it, it sounds so simple, it sounds so cliche, but that's really what it is. To set aside all your control, all your desires. And again, he's not out to get you. He knows what's best. But we have to let go before he can come in take over. Some of you have heard the, the story I heard years ago about this father and he gave his daughter these plastic pearls and this little girl just loved these plastic pearls. They were her favorite piece of jewelry and she wore them every day. She wore them to bed at night. She wore them throughout the day. Like these were the most precious pearls that she had. These little dollar store plastic pearls. Of course, what made them special was they were from her daddy and she loved her daddy. And every time she touched her plastic pearls, she looked at them in the mirror. She thought of her daddy and how loved and cherished she was by her daddy. A few years later, her daddy came to her and said, I'd like your pearls. She was horrified. Tears began to come down her face. Not my, not my, my necklace. No, not my pearls, daddy. These are so special. And the father said, I, I want your pearls. No, daddy. I can't let go of these. This is the most precious thing I own. And after some prodding, after some time, she took off her dollar store pearls, her face drenched in tears. She handed them to her daddy. And her father reached in his pocket and pulled out the most beautiful necklace of real pearls and presented them to his daughter. Family, I think that's a picture of what God wants to do in our lives this year. We've been holding on to all this stuff, all this meaningless stuff, and we think, I have to have this. I have to cling to this. I can't let go of this. And he say, I've got something so much better for you. So much better, but you have to trust me. You have to let go. You have to give me that stuff. You have to surrender. Because when your hands are tight, you can't receive anything. I don't know who needs to hear this this morning, but I, I feel like someone does. This year, we need to let go of all that stuff and make space for God. 
make space for him to give us those special, precious gifts that he wants to give us. Some of you, you've been trying so hard to be good and striving and you, you can't impress God, you can't manipulate him. You certainly can't compete with him, but you can love him. You can let go and surrender. You can trust and obey. You can seek first his kingdom rather than your pleasure. You were made by God, for God, and for God's glory. And as long as you pursue your own glory, you're going to be frustrated. Despite what all the self-help gurus want you to believe, it's not about you, it's all about God. And we need to reawaken to the glory of Jesus and what a glory it is. In the Old Testament, the word for glory is hod. It means splendor, majesty, beauty, vigor, authority. The prophet Habakkuk wrote this, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. What a beautiful prayer for 2022. And this was written 7th century B.C. The bottom line of our church mission, the reason we're here, the bottom line, literally the bottom line is his glory. We're not here for our glory. We're not here to make a name for ourselves. We're not here to be the biggest, baddest, coolest, hippest church in town. We're not here for our comfort and convenience. We're here for God's glory. As we begin the year, the new year, I want to say, may God's glory your highest priority. It goes against everything the media and social media wants you to believe. It's countercultural. It's radical. I think it's the ultimate alternative lifestyle. I'm going to invite the band to come up so we get ready for communion. See, I believe if we reawaken to the glory of Jesus rather than our own glory, it'll transform our lives. It'll transform this church. It'll transform our city and could even change the world. Jesus said, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So in conclusion, family, here's my challenge. You can seek your glory or God's glory, but not both. You have to choose. And you have to choose every day. Again, this isn't a one-time thing. I know most of you, you prayed the prayer, you got your get-out-of-hell-free card, you do your thing. Every day we have to make this decision. Pick up your cross daily and follow Jesus. Some of you, you've already broken your New Year's resolutions and that's fine. Every day is a new day. Every day is a day to say yes to God or yes to yourself. To seek first your kingdom or his kingdom. What will you choose this year? In a moment, we're going to take communion. And those of you that are in the house, we have new communion elements. I haven't tasted them yet. <laughs> But we want you to be ready. We'll start with the, the, the bread in a moment and then we'll flip it over and, and drink of the cup. And as we, as we take communion, we're going to sing 
a version of the old hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Chris Tomlin added some, uh, a chorus to it. And the words that get me every time. Oh, the wonderful cross bids me come and die and find that I may truly live. See, when Jesus says die, he doesn't want you to stay there. He, he wants to resurrect you into new life, to new freedom, to new joy, to new purpose, to new hope, to new love. The wonderful cross bids me come and die and find that I may truly live.